Season two is nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Koch here, Chewing the Gristle podcast. It continues unabated. We got some powerful musical friends lined up. We're talking guitars, music, food, aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just chewing the diggity doggone gristle. This week on Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Koch, we have an old friend of mine, hometown individual, done good, my buddy Sean Hinton. You've seen him with Mary J. Blige, John Legend, Little Wayne, fantastic guitar player, and one hell of a cool dude. Stay tuned, Sean Hinton on Chewing the Gristle. Give you a little, they give you a little countdown now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Gregory Koch here, another installment of Chewing the Gristle. Today I have a young man who's an old buddy of mine from beautiful Milwaukee who's had a glorious career slinging guitar, writing songs, doing his thing with everybody from Mary J. Blige, John Legend, uh, Little Wayne. Am I right or am I right? And he's got two records out on his own under the moniker Sean Hinton and Shotgun. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Hinton. Sean, how are you? I'm all right, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for making time today. I'm glad it all turned out. Anything for you, Greg. Come on, man. I'll move heaven and earth for you, man. Let's go. <laughs> so where are you at? What have you been doing? I am home currently. I have been working tirelessly uh, on... Sean hitting his shotgun, getting back out, performing again. Um, you know, the pandemic kind of slowed everything down for right. all of the artists that I was working with, which I counted it to be a blessing because it gave me time to focus on my thing, which right. is Sean hitting the shotgun. So we dropped the album in November of last which is, year. Which is glorious, by the way. Yes, I thank just, you, sir. Thank I you very much. It. Yes. And now, because things are opening back up again, we're actually starting to get out a little more now and perform. So I'm very happy to be doing that. So that's what I've been working on, man. Just working tirelessly, tirelessly to uh, make Sean Hitting a Shotgun a household name. I like it. Yeah, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? With the it uh, the pandemo. Oh, it has, man. You know, it was so so crazy. When it when it hit, I was in Miami with Mary J. Blige. We were I remember that. I, re- I saw some of your posts, and I was like, oh, yeah. wait, is it going to be stranded down in Florida? That wouldn't be the worst thing. Oh, woof. So we did. We, we were on day two of the rehearsal. The next day was supposed to be the show day, and our tour manager came, to the, came inside the rehearsal room and was like, hey, stop. We're done. I was like, what happened? It's like, yeah, it's pandemic. So they had postponed the event. We saw it all on the news, and we flew home. It was like on my birthday, too, when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. Yeah, it's been been an interesting year, without a doubt. But what I thought was so bizarre was that, you know, I'm sure you were in the same boat. Like, everyone you talked to was like, maybe in September— Gigs right. will start happening again. And that's like like two months ago, someone hit a light switch and said, nope, it's on. Everything's open. Yeah. And like, Wait, what? And no, we're going to move in. It was just like, let's go. Let's do it. Right. And, it, and it, all of a sudden, you're looking on social media and stuff. It's like, guys are gigging like this weekend. It's like, what? What? How's, what? How did this all happen? And But at the same token, it was one of those things, too, where it's like, 
you know, I fortunately I was in a position where I could do enough stuff from home where, yeah, you know, I stayed solvent as the case may be. But you know, you're like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I want to go out right away. <laughs> exactly. A lot of people were nervous, right? A lot of people were nervous. I was just talking to our uh, tour manager, and I was asking him, like, "Yo, so does Mary have anything on the horizon?" He's like, "Man." It's not, we're not looking at doing nothing until 2022. Yeah. That's she's ready to go, but she's really, you know, just trying to wait it out. So, yeah. Cause with, you know, the Delta variant, oh, uh, yeah. it's, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's true. That is absolutely true. And you know, the funny thing, speaking of the variant and, and the vaccine, you know, I, I, I saw a meme uh, last night and it was a, it was a lady. She's like, I'm here to put the rumors to rest. I'm taking a magnet and I'm putting it against my arm because they said it was uh, <laughs> it was it was metal or magnetism. Right, exactly. I got this. I got the vaccine. I did the uh, what was it? I did the Pfizer. Right. Both of them and didn't get sick. Didn't like no, it. Didn't affect me in no kind of way at all. Right. Right. And so I'm like, I'm ready to go. Let's go, man. I'm ready to hit the road, man. Yeah, I did. I did the one and done, the Johnson and Johnson. And I didn't, you know, the next day I had a little hangover, but I took an Advil and it was done. You know what I mean? It was, it was done. Was, okay. But so uh, weird, like, are these like, you know, the, the little clips that's popping up? This person took the Johnson and Johnson's vaccine and they woke up dead. Like, come on, man. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, the st- statistically speaking, it's, you know. Yeah. It's uh yeah, of course people will argue about that stuff till they're blue in the face, but exactly. all I know is that it's like oh, the, the bottom line is regardless where you stand on whatever is that you're not going to be allowed to do things or you're not going to be feel safe to do things until you have a modicum of protection. Exactly. And um, you know, to fly and so on and so forth. And of course with these different variants you don't know whether you're going to need Boosters or the exactly. rest of it, but you know, I just put it on the news today about the booster because exactly. of the variant. But it makes you think, like I couldn't get, I couldn't go to school unless I got my chickenpox vaccine. So right, you no know, vaccines are vaccines are vaccines. So exactly, I'm I'm of the same mind. But uh, what are you going to do? Well, you exactly. know what was interesting is last uh, last week or so, I talked to Scott Sherrard. I had no idea you guys went to school together. Yes. Oh my God. I told. I taught. Uh, Scott, how to play a quartet drive. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, ask Sean d- d- about him teaching me the drive. Yeah, I taught him a drive, and it changed his life because Scott already had it on him. I was a drummer. That's the crazy thing. Our our um, our um music director, his name was Cliff Gribble, and um he wanted me as the drummer, because I, I studied Max Rhodes. I, I was I thought that was my claim to fame, Greg, was being a drummer. So my freshman and sophomore year, man, I met Scott Sherrod and Sean Dixon and Wilbur Baker, who were the 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 upperclassmen who took me under their wings. So I came to Western Milwaukee House of the Arts playing with the big dogs. Right. And once it, uh, we were in jazz queue together, I was the drummer and I picked up his L5, I think it was the L5, it was a Gibson L5 that Scott had. And I showed him, I was like, dude, this is what we play at church. And right. he heard it and was completely blown away. And I showed right. him how to do it and he was hooked. <laughs> well, let's talk about the, the church stuff. Because I, 
You know, once I, I it was quite a few years ago. Probably was ten years ago. You couldn't make it to a rehearsal or something like that, and you're like, "Why don't you go over to that the church?" It was the Balmer Gillian. Yeah, yeah. For me, yes, sir. That was. Oh my God. I have to say this. The fact that I could call you to fill in for me was so big, Greg. You have no idea, and I'm pretty sure you have an understanding now. But the first day, I, going back to the first day I met you at Interstate Music, right, right. As a 12 year old kid and watching you play the guitar, I was completely mesmerized. Like, and to maintain a relationship through those years and to be able to call you to fill in for me, it just was perfect. It made perfect sense. And the bass player, who was the musical director at the time, he knew about who you were. So I was just like, if you can get Greg to come play in our church, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful. I wish I could have been there to see it. That was my thing. Well, you know, it was so, so interesting as I went there and um, there were no charts, which I'm like, okay, well, that that's fine. I can hear all this stuff. But what was, what was fascinating to me is the church tunes, there's a lot of advanced harmony, but it's, uh-huh. it's not, it's not like, uh, your typical jazz harmony. It is, but it's just, it's cooler. To me, it's cooler, yeah, right? I, yeah. But there, to me, the more I listened to it, the more I realized, well, there's some, there's some moves here that are like standard moves that I don't know. And yeah. I need to, I need to learn them. <laughs> so it, 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 it was one of those things where after that, I, I had to delve in as to what's going on. There's a lot of minor seven flat five chords, these little moves that are like these yeah. kind of, just kind of uh, the standard moves of the idiom, and so I, I had to learn them. So that was a that was a very um, instructive day, to say the very least. But so, how did you? I mean, was it just from a, a little kid? You were playing in church. You started off on drums, or you played guitar? Do you play keyboards yes, at I all started, as well? Dude, I started out on Greg. I started out on drums at the age of well, I played at my grandfather's church. So you know my cousin Afton that plays bass. Yeah. We shared drums. We took turns playing drums. He and I hated it. We hated sharing the drums. And <laughs> I, think, I think the straw that broke the camel's back was we had an aunt from Rockford, Illinois, had came to Milwaukee and was like, this is how we're going to fix this problem. Afton, you're going to play this Sunday. Sean, you're going to play the next Sunday. And <laughs> under me is the rest of my cousins who wants to play drums. So after was the first one was like, I don't want to play drums anymore. I want to play bass. And I was the second one. Like, I don't want to play drums anymore. I want to play guitar. So ah. <laughs> my, my mom bought me my first guitar at Doc's Jury and Loan on Lisbon. It was a red echo. Ah. My grandfather showed me my first three chords and I was hooked. Like, and here's another here's a another interesting tidbit. Guitar to me is such a excuse me a cool instrument. All I could see as a kid was me sitting on the edge of a folding chair with shades on playing the guitar and all of the girls swooning. So, <laughs> that's exactly how I imagined it. But as I learned, my love and respect for it deepened. You know what I'm saying? So right. I suffered from my instrument, Greg. And I'm, I tell this story all the time. So playing the guitar, my mom gave me and my sister a strict bedtime of 8.30 on the weeknights. So we can be up early enough to get ready for school and eat breakfast. I have my door closed 
and the radio on and I'm listening and trying to learn everything. And my mom would catch me and I get a whooping ah. every time <laughs> without fail. But if you talk to my mom now, she would tell you, yeah, he suffered for his craft. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it starts as a, a, a growing up in church. You start out as a drummer and then you gradually move to another instrument. And, you know, for some people, it's not because you, you don't want to, share drums with anybody, but it's because you definitely want to learn as much as you possibly can on other instruments and musicians, church musicians, they, 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 they move on to becoming producers and composers because you know how to play everything. I know how to play a little bit of keyboard enough to do, to do it at home when I'm creating music. I know how to play bass because if you know how to play guitar, you know how to play bass. So that just was a no brainer for me. But it it started out as drums and I ended up on guitar and I've not looked back since. So are are there, I still play guitar. So are there, um, you know, the, the repertoire of, of the church stuff, obviously, you know, there's new tunes written all the time and so on and so forth, but, but are there standards that are always played or is it, is it interchangeable or when you you grew up playing the tunes, was there like, well, you gotta know these songs. Oh yeah, you 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 the the the, the traditional songs like uh, Jesus is on the main line, which is a typical blues like let me see three four five kind of situation. Um, yeah, those uh, traditional songs like that, which we they call those devotion songs, Got like it. Sunday morning. They call now they call it praise and worship, but back in the day we called it Sunday morning devotion. Someone would. And in and, and the church would just out of nowhere belt out a song and the band would pick up. We, just, ah. we, knew, we knew exactly where to go. And when they got through, they would get up and testify and talk about how good God is. They get done. Somebody on the right, they'll start to uh, start up a song. That's just standard songs that are what they call them public domain. If you would look into a song book. Right. We just that's how we learn. We learned that we learned on the fly like that. Awesome. Now, Neil Roberson, who I got to know, also at Interstate Music. Now, was he your, your That's uncle? My cousin. Your cousin. Okay. Yes. Rest up. <laughs> I'll never forget him playing in the band for a while. And in the, one of the coolest memories I have is that, you know, when we would do gigs, he would, um, you know, just play whatever keyboard, you know, at that time, whatever digital keyboard and get a, you know, decent piano sound and organ sound. But we were doing a session. Uh huh. And um, and they had a B3 there, and he goes, man, we got to fire that B3 up. And so we fired the B3 up with the pedals, and he got behind that thing. And to this day, it was one of the most magical things I've ever heard in my life. And every now and again, I'll f- I've got it on a cassette somewhere. And because I said, well, I'm thinking about an intro to the song, and the, the, su- the tune had kind of gospel chords anyway. I go, could you, I go, could you do like, a, you know, like an intro based on those chords? And... It's the most. There, there is something about the gospel thing with the B three. It's it's yes, the most moving music of all time. That's a staple instrument. If you can play a B three and you're good at it, you're bringing the house down every rip. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's magical. So tell me how you went from doing the church stuff. To hooking up with Mary J and all these other other folks that you've been playing with. Okay, so how I did that was, um, I uh, I was looking to make a name for myself in Chicago. 
at the time, I really wasn't thinking about playing R&B because I didn't think it was a obtainable situation. Um, I just knew every weekend somebody was doing a live recording in Chicago. And I'm like, I need to be a part of that scene. I want to be a part of that scene. I had uh, just went to Summerfest. This was, I want to say this was 2002. And I had met this drummer by the name of Rexel Hardy. And um, he was playing for this local group here in Milwaukee called Jersey Ave that had just signed a major record deal. And I told him the same thing. I was trying to make a name for myself. And, and, and he was telling me about a tour. It was a gospel tour that they were getting ready to do. And he's like, I might be able to get you on that. Can you send me something? And the only thing that I had to send him was a VHS recording of me playing with this artist from Milwaukee, gospel artist by the name of Rodney Cunningham. I, I FedExed him the VHS tape and he called me maybe a week after that. He was like, Hey, I got a gig for you. Uh, the only thing, uh, the only downside to it is you got to leave Monday. He had called me on a Saturday. Greg, oh, I was a medical records clerk at Columbia family care center at the time. Huh. I called my boss on a Saturday and said, I quit. I just got a phone call and I'm thinking it was a gospel gig. I didn't know it was who it was with. So this is where the, the enter Dave Hollister, who was the first R&B artist I played with, knew about him, knew who he was, big fan of his work. When Rex said, hey, you're going to play for, uh, we're playing for Dave Hollister. I was like, what? <laughs> this is an R&B gig. Like, whoa, I wasn't even trying to shoot for that, but got it. We did this thing called the Hennessy Privilege Tour, and my name just started circulating through the industry because I was playing with a chip on my shoulder. I'm not an angry person, but Milwaukee, especially on that scene, we get such a bum rap. You know, we got great talent here, but it's like they don't they overlook us. And, and to this day, people's like, you're from Milwaukee. Ain't that in Minnesota? I'm like, no, that's right. Believe, believe me, I get it. <laughs> but, I, I play in every night, man. I play with aggression. I, I, I play tastefully as well. Light embellishments did exactly what I was supposed to do. And management from other artists was like, what are you doing after this tour is over? So from Dave Hollister, I played with Kelly Price. Playing with Kelly Price, I did my first TV debut with her on this show called 106 and Park on BET. From there, I played with Michelle Williams because Michelle Williams' brother and I had played at a church together. Uh, so he called me. He was like, hey, you want to do this gig with Michelle? I said, sure. So I did the gig with Michelle. That then turned into me getting a phone call from another gospel act. And this is when I did a gospel, this uh, New Life tour. And while I was on the New Life tour in 2004, I get a phone call from Rex Hardy again. Rex says, yo, Mary's putting a brand new band together. She fired the old guys and she wants a guitar player. I'm going to tell the tour manager to call you. That's how I got the Mary gig. Wild. I, I, they, he called me, the tour manager called me. He was like, hey, uh, Mary has a tour that's coming up. And this was the first time I had to get my passport in New York. So I have flew from Nashville to New York because Nashville was the last date of the gospel tour that I did. Flew right to New York, got off the plane, took a cab to Manny's and bought an amp because the tour manager said, we don't rent backline. 
If you don't have your own gear, we can't use you. I said, I'll buy an amp soon as I get to New York. Right. As soon as I got off the plane, I went to New, uh, went to Manny's on Music Row and bought an amp, went right to uh, SIR in New York. Mary was waiting on me. I set my stuff up, played maybe three or four songs. She was like, okay, you want the gig? I was like, no. Yes, I do want the gig. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely want the gig. So, and from there, my name just kept circulating through the industry. And I think the other thing that the, the one thing that really truly put me on the map uh, with working with artists such as Jill Scott and John Legend and, and Little Wayne was the, um, my first ever live recording with a major R&B act, which was Mary J. We did it at the Gibson Amphitheater. And it was on DVD and it was at, it was in every major retail stores, Walmart, Sam Goody at the time, like you could go and pick up this DVD and you would see me on it. Right. And that was like a big deal. Questlove from the Roots heard about me and what he and I had in common was my godfather, uh, Spanky, God rest the dead, uh, Spanky Alfred Chalmers. And we were rehearsing with Mary and we were supposed to do a show with Mary and Jay-Z. It was a tour, the Heart of the City tour. Jay actually ended up bringing his own band anyway, but it was going to be Mary's band that was playing. Well, Quest, who was MDing it, was like, yo, so Spanky was your godfather. I was like, yeah. So then he gave me everything that Spanky had ever did with Al Green. So I had got the Al Green album that Spanky played on that he that Al Green had special guests on years before it had, had even dropped. <laughs> and I kept that relationship with, with Quest. And he called me after I had finished doing a married thing. He was like, hey, you want to play with John Legend? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay. I'm going to have John Legend call you. John Legend calls me and I get the gig playing with John Legend. My first <laughs> gig with John was playing Good Morning America in Central Park. Good Lord. Crazy, right? It's super crazy. So here we are now, man, 2021. I have great working relationships with them whenever they call me to do stuff because my main gig is Mary J. Blige. But I get phone calls from time. Uh, time to time to, you know, fill in to play with John Legend or fill in to play with Jill Scott. I haven't gotten a phone call to play with Wayne yet. I'm still waiting on that phone call. I wouldn't mind doing it. Here's a true story about Wayne, man. Chris, uh, Kid Rock was telling me this one particular, I think it was the CMAs, the Country Music Awards. Right. And uh, Kid Rock had had did a performance and Wayne was on stage with him. And Wayne asked the guitar player, like, what strings do you hit to start the song? And said, Kid Rock's guitar player said, shit, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny to me, man. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the, you know, like for the Mary J. Black, did she tell you, give you a, just say, learn these songs? Were there charts? No Uh, charts. None whatsoever. The way we learned material, right? When I first got there, they had already had the, they had all of the songs picked out that she wanted to do. And all I, I had to do my homework. And here's the crazy thing. Uh, uh, all of her music, she doesn't use guitar. <laughs> like the only time I've ever heard guitar on a song was the song she did with George Benson, which was called Seven Days. And the song she did with Eric Clapton, Give Me You. But everything else, all of her, all of her hits, 
didn't have guitar. And so her whole thing was like, okay, you know my music. Now put your personality into it. She gave me a, a creative license to create stuff, to create. Right. So, and I learned what R&B is parts. You just got to find a part, stick to that part. Even if there were songs that didn't like, because the songs didn't have a lot of guitar parts on there, I would catch a keyboard part. Right. That's trying to imitate a guitar. And I just would put my spin on it. But then nice. the things that just didn't have it, I would come up with stuff like one of the, I think one of the, one of the, uh, the parts that stick out that people really enjoy hearing me play is on one of her songs called Real Love. We, right. um, she had 2019, she had received a, a award, a Lifetime Achievement Award on BET and she had a performance and we did the song Real Love. And that, the thing that I did stuck out, it, it stood out so much. It stood out, but it, it didn't overshadow the music, but it, it really caught guitar players' attention that, that, that's urban, that, that plays R&B music. It's like, dude, what you did right there was sweet because I was able to create stuff and it, and it still, and it wouldn't be in the way of what was happening, you know, overall. Sure. So it was never charts. You put a chart in my face, Greg. I think I might go down in flames. <laughs> yeah, that's an aspect. You know, it's so funny. I'm 42 now, man. And I'm, I'm really, I know my numbering system. I'm pretty sure you know the number system. Sure. Yeah. But I'm learning about charts. Like I have logic. So I'll play a chord on the guitar and I'll write it down and then I'll play it on the keyboard. So I'll, okay, so this is a E major seventh or, you know what I'm saying? Or flat right. fifth. I'll call my cousin or my uncle Cortez Burke, who's a great organist as well. And I'll shout out the numbers, uh, the, the, the notes. I'll spell out the notes and he'll tell me what the chord is. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it was never charts with Mary. It was just listen to the music, study the music, be ready to end the thing. The beautiful thing is because we have months to rehearse. So at that point, it's just developing muscle memory and, and, and knowing what to do. So. So the set list pretty much stayed the same. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. The crazy thing for that year, 2019, we had three different set lists. It was so crazy. We had, uh, we had, no, I take that back. It was four. So 2019, we were in LA rehearsing for not just the tour that was kicking off, but we were rehearsing for the Essence Music Festival in New Orleans. So that was a set list. The BET, uh, BET Awards, that was a set list. The BET Festival, which was the night before the awards, that was a set list, and then the actual tour. So that was four set lists that we were learning. Crazy. None stop. <laughs> and, and what 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 gear did you use for all of this stuff? It was have you been using kind of the same thing, or or do you have like a set pedal board, and then you can use whatever amp you come across, or you know how what? does it work? I think the most disappointing thing ever, and I and I finally gotten to the place where I've made peace with it. You know, with doing tours like that, they go for a quiet stage. Sure. They don't want any guitar amps on stage. So the good folks over at Line 6, who I've been rocking with since I've been playing with Mary, um, they 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 got me a Helix. Got it. So the Helix pedal board has amp simulators on it, like based off of real amps. Sure. And, I, and I just know how to set that stuff. And one of the things that really stands up, you know, you know this, man. The tone really, it's all in your hands. You know what I'm saying? And tone purist, you know, like who I, I can I can appreciate a good tube amp. I love amps, 
But when you can't use them, you just got to make do with what you have. Absolutely. And it works. So my my rig, since I've been back with Mary, has been a lot, my Line 6 Helix. And um, I use a, I use a couple guitars. I use my, my Schecter Traditional, which is like their version of a Strat. Right. And um, my Line 6 uh, Variax, the JT9. Oh, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing, man, that thing is amazing because I can hit a button and have an acoustic guitar. Right. So it's it's cool. So those things, and it's so crazy. Schechter gave me like a shitload of guitars, and out of the shitload of guitars, I use my I use my strat because I'm a strat guy, man. Right. I love strats. I understand. <laughs> you strat are, is a good one of the dudes that inspired me to want to use a strat, man. Because I never forget it. When we were at Interstate, you were playing this black and white strat in the guitar room. And the things you did with that, I was like, oh, my God, I want that. <laughs> well, Strat is a it, it's, you know, absolutely. It's one of those guitars that uh, does so many cool things. And it's there's nothing that sounds like that. Absolutely. I mean, you, can, you know, and so yeah, for me, it was, uh, you know, of course, all the different Strat players over the years that I got into. But it was Hendrix for me. It was like the the ultimate Strat player. And oh, so yeah, was, absolutely. Yeah. So that's why I've always always had one in the arsenal. But um, yeah, it's um, gear is just one of those things you can go down the rabbit hole. But I know what you mean. I, I never forget one of the things for me when I, I years ago when I was doing a tour with a buddy of mine, and we were opening up for a, um, a major artist, and and I was I was just in the band, so you know it wasn't my own thing, so I didn't know how loud I should be or so on and so forth, and I brought. Remember, I brought along three different amps at the time. I brought along a Pro Junior, you know, the fi- the little fifteen watt yeah. little Fender driver with with a volume and a tone, and you know, very simple. And then I brought a uh, Hot Rod Deluxe, Ooh. so the fo- the forty watt version. Yeah. And, th- and then I brought a Hot Rod Deville, the sixty watt four ten version, because I thought I have no idea how this works, right? So I get there, and it was it was the dawning of the era of no sound on stage, which to me is, I understand it from a from a technical point of view, but from a rock and roll point of view, it's a downer, right? <laughs> so so I ended up using that little amp, and even then they're like, "Can you turn it down?" I'm like, "For God's sake!" <laughs> but but that's the way it is, you know. And uh, so it's it's that's why you know with with my band and doing what I do, I'm sure it's the same way when you're doing the shotgun gig. You can let your freak flag fly and just turn it up and oh, let it rip, yes. let it rip. Oh yes, yes. That's what I. You know, that's the big thing for me because even with me using my Helix, I use the Line Six uh, Power Cab. It's a two twelve stereo Power Cab, and I know I like I don't know people complain about that that cab like cats that i know that play with it they they don't care for it but for me i'm like in heaven because I, I know how to use that thing right and never shotgun does a gig i'm bringing like because it's two guitar players so right. it's me and d will d will has a deville uh two 212 deville mm-hmm. and i got my 212 power cab bass player has two tens and a no two ten a two ten cab by itself and then a fourteen cab. So we giving we bringing drama. We bringing we we ain't bringing them bus smoke. And right. I love it because it's that's the sound that you need. And then like the other day, I was watching, I was watching on YouTube live performance videos from the police and how 
Andy Summers had his rig on stage. Sting had his rig on stage. Watched the Phil Collins gig. Chester Thompson had all of his drum gear on stage. And Daryl Sturmer with his all. I'm like, dude, Destin, we need to get back to that. Like, right. let's have let's have all of the gear on stage. Because right. to me, it just affects how you play. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing whenever when there's no volume on stage and everyone's wearing earbuds, uh, it's it, you know obviously you adapt and for the greater good of you know the, the production value and all of that yeah. kind of stuff and saving your hearing. I get all of that, but it's it's different. It's not the same it thing. It, it ain't nothing like having wind behind your back when you're playing a guitar, man. Feeling the wind from those speakers hitting. That's a fact. <laughs> you know, I, I was joking about this with somebody the other day. Is that you know. You know, I toured a lot with the band, you know, in Europe and stuff. And we go over there and you go into these clubs and <clears throat> it's been pretty good when, when we're touring around with the trio in the States. No one, you know, when you're going in, you're doing your own, your own thing. And it, you know, you're not playing at some place where, oh, look, there's a band here. You know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. you know, you're, it's a showcase club. You're doing your thing. You don't get too much grief about how loud you are. But man, when you're in Europe, you go, go into a place like, oh, my God. Can you guys turn turn down? It's so loud. I'm like, why did you book us? Because and then and then you start thinking, what did bands, what did venues do when guys came in with like a hundred watt Marshall stack, which everyone used back in the day? Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like I look at you know those things of Hendrix where you know and by '69 he was using three uh, hundred watt Marshall heads, and I think they may have been two. I think they were maybe two hundred watt Marshall heads, but for Ooh. sure hundred watt. And he used three of them. And then, you know, Billy Cox on the other side had a couple, you know, had a, a couple of stacks. And, you know, because back then the PAs were so, you know, Easy, so crappy right? that, that yeah. they needed the guitar, you know, all that stuff was stage volume. <laughs> and you're thinking, how did that ever pass? You know, people will be like, oh, my God, it's over. But it was a right. whole different thing. You know, people weren't looking at their phone. They were totally engulfed in the music. Makes you wonder a, how many times did Jimmy Hendrix say, mind your ears, ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine how loud it must have been oh, oh for the love of god he had to be super loud so what's the so then what's the difference now you know what i'm saying right exactly but it's yeah, hard to talk like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys Greg. <laughs> that's a fact we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at fishman transducers Makers of the Greg Cock Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So, of all the artists you played with, who, who was the one that you were able to? I mean, and this is now like choosing, it's not a better or a different, but. Uh, which one gave you the greatest freedom to like improvise and stuff like Jill that? Scott. Okay, Jill Scott. I I knew when you and when you ask that question, that's that's going to forever be the person that I love for allowing us to be free. I'll never forget when I first started playing with Jill, and we were in and we were in uh, Philadelphia rehearsing at SIR. I want to say it was in Bethlehem, uh, Pennsylvania. That's where it was, Beth, Bethlehem, Bethel or something like that. And we struck up uh, one of her hit songs, Is It The Way You Love Me? And it's a ballad. And I just came in screaming, Greg, like, 
I was giving her all of the smoke that I could provide. <laughs> you know, not, not done. When we finished that song, she jumped up out of her chair and she was like, I don't ever want to hear you play the same things. How organic that was. She said, I want to be moved every night. So what you to play today was cool. I don't want to hear it again. I want to hear something different. Something new. That's awesome. That's what and, you want. And, that, and that's it. Because you, I can I appreciate and respect and honor parts. I do. I really do. Especially in, like in my in my profession, in my in my field, like with R and B, it is parts. Sure. But to have that freedom with Jill, like everything is organic. Like she just she wants to create a vibe every time, and that's what I gave her every night. I gave her something completely different. I just I would go to distant places musically, man, where it just meant just, you just put my, you just put me in the sixties or I just like, I want to do LSD when you play kind of situation. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah. man. So, so when you're working for these artists, is, is it, I mean, I know it's different for everybody in terms of, uh, um, you know, doing thing for X amount of time. And then you're like, okay, well this tour ends in May and then they're not planning to go out until maybe the next year. So I could pick up this other tour then and do that. So if, if an artist wants to get I me, mean, are you on retainer with some of these people? So they have first right of refusal or is it just all just a matter of having to juggle these things in order to make sure that they all line up? It's juggling. Cause got it. The only time you catch a retainer is, is if, like, example, if Mary, Mary had put us, I remember being a retainer for Mary for, like, maybe a, a it was just recently, for, like, 10 days. Ah. For 10 days, we were on retainer. This just so we, when it was time for us to go back out after we took that break from doing, um, from doing the BET Awards, and then we had that two-week break in between, like, all right, we'll 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 do this to hold y'all down. But for the most part, man, you fend you juggling and you fending for yourself. You know, like a, a example where retainer was denied was Wayne. We had just did the Grammys. He had just dropped uh, that he had won a Grammy for the Carter Three, and um, he had took the award home for best rap album. And when we were done, he wasn't doing nothing for like I think maybe two or three months. And we was like, yo, so. Y'all want to put us on retainer? Well, no, we can't do that right now. And that's uh, how I ended up doing a John Legend gig. Like, okay, cool. I'm not going to sit here and wait for y'all. Right. To, you know, like, you just want me to sit around and sit around the house and twiddle my thumbs? That doesn't work. I can't pay bills twiddling right. my thumbs. So, right. yeah, it, it, sometimes it works. And I think it's those upper echelon gigs where they will put you on retainer. Like, I would, I would think... Uh, Aaron Clapton, Eric Clapton gig will put you on retainer. Uh, right. Justin Timberlake, you know what I'm saying? Those kind of situations. But not us. We have, I've been blessed and privileged one time, which was 2019. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in, now you've written some songs with, with some folks. How, how has that panned out and how's that? How's that situation been for you as far as, you know, because as, as musicians, we always have to worry about multiple streams of income. Wow. So how, how have you find songwriting and arranging and producing for people as part of your overall scenario? You know, it's, 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 it's definitely a blessing in disguise 
but it's that, and it's, you know, what they call it mailbox money. Get those residuals. Right on. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You got to wait. It, it's the waiting game because it's like, okay, yes, you wrote with these great artists. Like I did, uh, I did a, uh, Jill's last album. I think it was called Woman. Um, I, th- I got writer's credit on that. Um, the John Legend song that he did for Think Like a Man every year was like clockwork. If And I just have to be patient. Every year in April, I get a big check from being a part of that project. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yes. yes. That's it. That's the, that's the, the, the retirement plan, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Like to have consistent flow of income from being a writer and a producer, getting right, uh, you know, writers and publishing royalties, um, it's, 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 it's definitely life-saving. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. I know I can, even with my stuff with Sean hitting a shotgun, like I get an ASCAP check every month. Now I, I have yet to, you know, get a check in the mail that says $80,000. Oh my goodness. Right. Day that will be, <laughs> but it's still enough where I'm able to sustain and take care of my family. And I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. But it's perfect. I love it. I enjoy it. And then to just to, you know, be in good company and being invited and being valued enough to, you know, be considered to help write a song, add your contribution to it. It's beautiful. I love it. Indeed. I can dig it. <laughs> so th- I just see you do a gig down in uh, in St. Louis with Jubu Smith. Oh. Did that happen already? It did, Greg. Listen. Tell me about it, doggone it. Oh, Jubu is my, I I call him my big brother, man, because whenever he and I are on a show together, him him playing with Frankie Beverly and me playing with Mary or me playing with Jill, um, we always get a chance to catch up. But this particular gig was special because it was... Jubu as an artist doing his thing and it was me as an artist doing my thing. Right. And it was, it was just so, it was, it was a, it was a memory that I would cherish for the rest of my days, man, because not only did we play, uh, did we do, we do a show together that night, we left the gig and went to an after hour spot and played to the wee hours of Sunday morning. And we had to hop <laughs> on the plane to get back to, I had to get back here to Milwaukee and Chubu had to get back to his home in Georgia. And it was just so fun because not only did we play together, I learned, I, I was able to ask anything that I wanted to ask. And I just, I learned, I soaked up, soaked up as much information. And one of the things that he said to me that really stuck out, he was like, hey man, we've been helping people build dreams for years. He said, it's our turn now. He said, in talking to all of these different groups, man, these different bands, he said, it's, it's, it's a community. He said, if we can get to that place where we can all become a community, he said, dude, we could be the gatekeepers that says like, yo, it's our, it's, it's on us when we want to go, you know? Right. So I thought that was just so amazing, but it was definitely an experience because, you know, just as well as I know how great you is. Yes. On guitar, this dude is just—he's phenomenal, man. The things that he do on guitar, just like yourself, man, it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's mind-boggling, it's baffling. It's just like—and you sit there 
at the edge of your seat the whole entire time he's playing. It's just like, oh my God, this dude is ridiculous. It was that kind of night. So where did you first encounter him? Where, where was your first meeting with Juve? Because he's kind of like, as far as, you know, I, people, they use that term neo-soul. But yeah. I, I, I don't even know where that, that term comes from per se. But, I mean, certainly, you know, what we talked about earlier, it's the gospel jazz, but it's not. It's just like yeah. this more, more soulful, jazzy approach to courting and soloing. And, and it's a very intense uh, uh there's a lot of notes. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. it's but it's 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 uh, it's not wasted. There's no there's no chaff. You know yeah, what I mean? It's exactly. all so. It, so tell me how you discovered Jubu or where you first encountered him and 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 that's that school of playing. So my my first gig was with Dave Hollister and um, Dave Hollister will oftentimes do shows where Tweet, who's another urban AC artist would be on the bill. Well, Tweet's band is all West Coast. Nissan Stewart, who, who's the drummer and I, uh, another pillar of the community of urban AC musicians. His brother, Rapture, who's the musical director. Uh, Craig Brockman, Charlie Burrell on guitar, and Jubu. And I, th- this was the reason that the, this was the reason why I made this choice to define my playing. Like I can play gospel quartet over R and B because I watched Jubu do it with tweet. This the stuff that he was doing. And we, I'll never forget. We were in, in, um, we were in California. We did this, I think it was called Wango Tango. It was a, like a big radio, variety show like where they had all of the different it was a pop station and i was playing with dave Jubal was playing with tweet and i stood out backstage off to the side and watched him from the time that they started they kicked up their first song to the time that they ended and that's how i met Jubu, and it and it had been and, and that was like 2002 that's how long I've okay. known Jubu. But then when I started to do my history and research, Jubu is, in my opinion, and I'm pretty sure other people could stand with me and say this, a great deal of the band Tony, 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 uh, a, a lot of their, uh, a lot of their success comes from his guitar playing because he was a part of the uh, Tony, Tony, Tony. He was a good guitar Got player. It. He was like, you know, they had the Wayne Wiggins, but, Jubu is the, and will forever be the dude like him right. and um, Raphael Sadiq's cousin, Elijah Baker, who play, who was the bass player, like them dudes, Carl Wheeler, who was the organ player, them dudes were the sound of Tony, Tony, Tony. So then it made me think because I used to listen to Tony, Tony, Tony all of the time as a kid in middle school and in high school and the guitar stuff. He's like, yo, that was Jubu playing that stuff. Like, if you ever get a chance, Greg, YouTube Tony 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 anniversary, and you'll hear that's Jubu on guitar. Okay, Tony 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 Sons of Soul album. I've been thinking of you. That's all Jubu. That's all quartet. Like that's quartet gospel. They'll call it neo soul because they don't want to. The industry don't want to 
frame it as this is a gospel kind of thing. Right. Right. had the perfect coin for us, gospel delic, like it is. Like even gospel delic, gospel delic. But right, that um, the instant vintage album with with uh, Raphael Sadiq, it was his solo album. I think he won a Grammy off of that. That's Jubal on some of that stuff. Like they got a song called uh, THC, and it's and and the, the the premises behind the song is these girls are outside and they see Raphael Sadiq sitting in the car. And it's like, let's walk up to him and saying something. And they snapping their fingers and you hearing this sweet guitar and you find out later on, that's Jubal on guitar. Ah. And it's just like, for me, that, that, that was, that's one of my biggest influence when it comes to quartet and just soulful, emotional playing. He's that dude. And when I met him, in 2002 and discover like this is this dude that played all of this stuff then to find out he is a quartet musician he is a gospel he grew up just like we did listening to gospel music like i was talking to jubal's brother eric smith who uh md's janet jackson he's the bass player he would show me footage of jubal at the age of 12 playing guitar uh-huh. So yeah, Jubal, that's how I met Jubal, 2002, and that's how deep of an influence he is for me. Everything that I just mentioned, the songs that he played on, and then just how he takes me under his wing, man. Like, I can call, he, we don't talk all of the time, but when we do talk, it's like we picked up where we left off. Right on. I can dig it. So how long ago was that gig down? It wasn't that long No, ago, it wasn't. Right? We're, we're in the month of July, right? So I want to say it was like, May, if not May, it was June. I, it was May. It was like the end of May. Mother's Day was May, yeah, right? I, yeah, it was exactly. Mother's Day. Yep. Cool, awesome. Well, I tell you what, if you guys ever do a show in town, I'm I'm Greg, there. You, you're there. You'll be playing. That's what. I, that's all. I'm, oh, that'd be I awesome. still feel. I, and I, I promise you, when I was with Jubu, I was telling them about you, like. I, I tell, listen, I tell everybody that I know in the business about you. I tell everybody. Because, dude, you you are that guy here in the city to me. Oh, and you, you represent us well, man, whenever you go overseas. <laughs> well, I do my best. Let's put it that <laughs> Man, I'm ready, to, um, I'm ready to come over to your house and play guitar with you. I, I watch your sh- your, uh, the shows you and your son Dylan and the organ player do. I'm like, man. Let me get an invite to that. It's a wrap. Yes. Well, you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome to come in anytime. He was going to come down this weekend, but we decided that we're going to we're going to wait till the end of July. Okay. But uh, yeah, you're anytime. Come on over, and we'll cause. Yes, trouble. sir. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a fun little. That, that's been fun. You know, it's. I, I will say that as much as you know, going out and traveling is is and doing the thing is great, and you know, you you count your blessings, you're able to do it, but. There's something about being able to go in your own house, click on a camera, and have everything going through good quality yeah. gear so it sounds good and for real, and just stay in your house and play. It's it's, it's a lot it, of fun. Yeah, it's, it not, you're in the orange room of doom, right? I am oh, indeed, yeah. even as we speak. That is the famous room for me. I love watching you guys perform. It's, it is amazing, man. Oh, well, thank you. Coming from you, that means a lot, my friend. Yeah. So what do you got coming up here in the near future? What's what's kind of the plan of attack? The plan of attack is, 
you know, let me say this, and then I'll say what I'm about to say next. The plan of attack is for Sean hitting the shotgun to be in your face every every chance we get. With saying that, I understand that you don't want to oversaturate, but I just feel like we have so much time to make up for because of the pandemic. So I feel like an exception can be made, but, you know, I'm still waiting on a phone call because I, I, I'm hoping to God that Sean hitting a shotgun can do Summerfest and open up for, what's his name, George Thorogood in the Destroyers. I wouldn't, I yeah, would yeah, yeah. totally love to open up for him. I think that would be dope. Um, things are picking up. So we got uh, Sean Hinton, the the band, we got some things coming up on the, the 23rd. We're playing a spot called The Bayou. And it's it's us doing all of our original music. Um, July 24th, we're in Ottsburg, uh, Wisconsin. We're doing the Ottsburg Boogie. So we're, we're okay. on that. July 18th, we're doing Hart Park in Wauwatosa. So things uh, are... That's right down the street from my house. Oh, so then I'm pretty sure I hope that you will be there. <laughs> Excellent. What, what day that's is that? July 18th. I believe that's a Sunday. Awesome. I will be in yes, town. Yes, absolutely. August 12th, we're doing the Botanical Gardens. There's some other things that we got going on in the month of August. But yeah, it's starting to pick up, man. And then we got tons of content that we're going to be dropping in August. Um, we filmed a few shows at a couple of places here in Milwaukee. And um, that's the other thing is like now you're understanding the importance of social media and YouTube and things like that. So we're, we're, we're planning on dropping content. The website is still up and going and popping and doing good. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always an interesting thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, when you live in an area like Milwaukee and the vast majority of your, your income goes from traveling out of places other than here, right? And then you come back here and you're like, you want to do your own band and you still have to be on the road with the band in order to make an impact yeah. everywhere. And then when you're at, at home, you don't want to play too much in places where you're not getting enough dough because of one, because they all talk, yeah. you know what I mean? So if you play one place for X amount of dough, then they're like, yeah, well, we got him for that. Yeah. So if, you know yeah. what I mean? And it just becomes this thing where... It's 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 a it's an always an interesting thing because you want to play exactly. to your point you know what I mean you want to go out there you want to play you want people to hear the music, um, but it's always this this game of you know supply and demand and perception because if people don't have an added perception of value, then they won't treat you with you know, when it comes time for a hard ticket price of X amount. It's a juggling yeah. match, and you just got you know we just always have to do the yeah, best we absolutely. can. Absolutely, and 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 as difficult as that can be at times, it's still something that I could I I would do until I make it, man. Like because it's 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 a love, even if beyond the paycheck, beyond the price. I love doing it. So even if I have to get to a place where I set the tone, you know what I'm saying? Like example. We, the show we're doing on the 23rd at the Bayou. Um, That's downtown. It's on right? King That's Drive. On, so it's like right in Bronzeville. It's like right before you get to okay. uh, the heart of downtown, like near the Pfizer. Not too far from Got there. Yep. But this is our event that we're throwing. So we're charging tickets at the door. You know what I'm saying? So I like to, my goal was until we can get to a place where we're making you know, Rolling Stones money, you know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> I'm going to contribute <laughs> all the time. And, and whenever the, the brand gets up to do our thing, it's going to be, this is how much we're charging. This is what it's going to, this is how it's going to go. Right. Well, speaking of Pfizer, the Bucks have lost their second game in a row here. We got to win. You know, I first, why can't they stop those guards from shooting those threes? It's just ridiculous. You know, I feel like the players, some of the players in the, in, in, on the team, they just pick and choose when they want to play good basketball, man. It just, it, they just wasn't, they wasn't working hard like they worked the night they played. I felt like it's one of the easiest teams. It's a, I mean, the, the, the Hawks is a young team, but they're a dope team. And I, that was the advantage that the Bucks right. had because they're much seasoned players. You got the Phoenix Suns who wanted just as bad as the Bucks wanted. So it's just like you got to put on your finals plan. Don't play like this is the off, like you know, like this is the start of the season. Like, come on, they're, yeah, right. they, they they let me down last night. I was hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm I was telling my wife to them like, look, man, I do not want these dudes to get sweet. But if we get swept. On our own court, I quit. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know what's funny for me is that I I'm a fair weather sports fan, right? But because I just get I get too worked anxiety, up. Right? It's like I used to be the biggest Packer fan. I just get I just get freaked, you know. Like all of a sudden, I become an expert for some reason within <laughs> scant moments. You know what I mean? I go from not even knowing the players' names, and all of a sudden now. I know vividly what they should be doing and when. You know? Problem like your <laughs> but, uh, I'm like, look here, Nimrod, pick up the ball. <laughs> right. Oh my God, I'm screaming. Like, what the <laughs> hell? But yeah, boy, your heart just exactly. it's just bum, 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 the whole time. It's, 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 it's too it's way too much emotion being thrown now. This is like I have to I had to turn from it a few times just to kind of calm my nerve, right. man. Like I was flipping from between the basketball game and Family Guy. Like, Family Guy centers <laughs> <laughs> You exactly. need a little break in the action. I understand it. Well, we were up at uh, we were up at our family cottage uh-huh. up in, up north last week for for the Atlanta game for the last for actually for the two last Atlanta games, and the reception was so bad. We had an AM radio. That was on a table, which was on a cooler, which was on a block of wood with a with some aluminum foil on the antenna hitting the <laughs> hitting the uh, uh, the gutter on the top of the house so that we could hear. And it would just like fade in and out. But we were we were listening and just like going crazy because we we're just like, are they going to win? Are they? Oh, no, they're oh, it's, I, I, man, I don't know. There's a, there's a reason why I, I take my sports on, man, in small absolutely. doses. I, I need us to win. We play tomorrow, right? Uh, and we I play home. We have so. home court it's, advantage. I think it's Sunday. That's, I think okay, it's Sunday. Sunday. Next I, game. We have home court advantage. I'm be- trusting and believing that we're going to win. We're not going to get swept. We're going to win Sunday because we're at home. I believe that. <laughs> well, it just it just seems like when Giannis is in, the yeah. other guys don't play up. You know what I mean? It's like when they all played out, up when great he was, he was when he was out. Blood. Yeah. Yes. Man. Oh, it's frustrating. But you again, know, I'm talking like I know what I talk about. But I do have eyes, <laughs> and I know what's going on. 
I know, I know the concept of the game, man. But yeah, my grandfather used to have this thing called the whooping room. So whenever we get in trouble, he pointed at the door like, "All right, take you to the whooping room." To the whooping room. Yeah, that'd be a good name for a band. So tell me, let me ask you this: What kind of stuff you've been listening to these days? What do you uh, What do you like to dude, to check out? Yacht rock, dude. I love yacht rock. <laughs> I promise you, God, I, you know, I just I, not too long ago um, started my subscription to XM Radio, like satellite radio. So okay. I'm in between yacht rock and Frank Sinatra. I, those those uh-huh. are the only two that I listen to. I can't listen to anything else. Now, if I have to make myself, because I can appreciate listening to other things before before the Yacht Rock and 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 um, Frank Sinatra, I was just listening to as much Bob Seger, as much Eagles that I could stand, and I could stand it all. <laughs> My wife hated me. She was in the car and I'm, <laughs> I'm blasting Hotel California. I'm blasting. Uh... <laughs> 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 yes, sir. That's a great Bob Seger, the way she, I... the way she spread. Oh, that song is so hard to me. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yes, that, that's the stuff that I listen to, man. But I, as of lately, it's just been yacht rock, which varies from the Eagles to. Doctor Hook to to Steely oh, Dan. Yes. Oh man, I listening to Steely Dan. I forgot how much I love them dudes. Like my favorite song for them is oh, Kid yeah. Charlemagne. Yeah, they're yes, sir. Oh yeah, Larry Carlton. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah man. But that's what I'm listening to. Y'all rock yes, and Frank Sinatra. Indeed. Frank Sinatra calms me. It centers me. Like when I need to decompress from all of the. The, the crazy shit that's going on in the world, you know, from watching the news or from coming from a rehearsal where it's just been all kind of high energy and it's just been great vibes. Getting in my car and print, playing Frank Sinatra is like perfect. It's yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I see that you're, you still do church stuff. Every is it Sunday. every Sunday every or is it every Sunday once I'm in a there. while? I'm the... I'm currently the musical director at my church, Christian Faith, uh, on Good Hope Road. Um, so we have Sunday morning service. We start at 10, normally out by the very latest 12. But my schedule is band rehearsals on Saturday. Thursday is praise team rehearsal. And that's just pretty much just kind of getting everything ready for Sunday. And since I've been the musical Got director, it. what I've been working on is bringing to the table um, the things that I've learned from, you know, being on the road, you know, like I've, I've had the privilege of sitting under some great musical directors, sitting under some great pro tools, technicians and things like that. And, and I brought it to, I literally brought it to my church. So I, um, I program drum loops. I do full programming for some songs sometimes and what I do is I make sure that the band is the only one that hears the, the count in and the click, but everything else, everybody else hears. So, so yeah. Got it. Yeah, I just was, I just had this memory, which is probably going to get me in trouble, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, 
speaking of like having some loops to play yeah. along with different countings and stuff like that and making sure the only ones that can hear it, we played at the first um, Crossroads Ooh. Festival that Clapton did down at the Cotton yeah. Bowl. It was a Fender thing. Um, and it was, needless to say, it was awesome. It was, a, And it was a two-day thing. So at the end of the second day, we were in, uh, it was at the Cotton Bowl. So we were in this kind of the announcer's um, building, you know what I mean, where all the, you know, and so, and that was kind of the green room for all the musicians that had played throughout the weekend. And, uh, but now we were just watching the show from up there and they had, you know, monitors in there, obviously, so we could hear what was going on. And ZZ Top's coming up. We're really excited because ZZ Top's playing and Clapton's going to play with ZZ Top and Jeff Beck are both supposed to play with ZZ Top. So we're just like, this is going to be the coolest thing of all time. And so we're sitting there waiting. In the meantime, there's this storm coming. So we're elevated enough because yeah. obviously on the top of the Cotton Bowl, you're, you're up pretty high. And you could see this horrible storm coming, light and you're like, holy shit, I hope this, I hope this happens right. before the storm comes, right? So um, all of a sudden, you know, ZZ Top comes out and they're doing their thing and they're playing, you know, all their hits and they're, and they're, they're doing legs, right? So... All of a sudden, digga, 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 digga. And all of a sudden, you're this one, two, three, four, change. And you're like, what is this? And then and then we hear this voice, you got legs. And then we hear a voice underneath. They're going, you got legs. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're hearing their monitors. They're putting the monitors through our thing. And it was, and we're like, oh, my God, he doesn't ah. sing that song. He just kind of... <laughs> And and then and then what was crazy is that Dusty Hill is out there playing. He can't remember where the changes are. So Billy Gibbons' voice comes in. One, two, three, change. <laughs> Four chord. I could not believe it. It's like you know, I still love ZZ Top, but I was like, oh my god, really? <laughs> but can you? That that's like the ultimate oh, like blooper crazy. reel is to have that and and to have it coming through where all the musicians oh, could yeah. hear it. You Dude, know what I mean? Check this out. I that's a good one. Um, my first, it was my, it was like maybe my second or third Sunday as an MD at the church, right? And our count in is James Brown. I got like I have on on my keyboard. I go one, two, three, uh, and somehow, Greg, <laughs> some way, on our Sunday morning broadcast on YouTube and Facebook Live, everybody, the whole world heard James. And everybody heard, one, two, three, uh. And it was so crazy. I had got, when we had finished the song, I had got text. They was like, yo, did y'all mean to do that? I said, mean to do what? He said, we heard James Brown. That's the scary thing about technology. (laughs) That's like one one day when we got done doing, um, we got doing a live stream. So I, you know, I, I have to turn on the task cam thing and the, the microphones are going through this thing and it's going through the computer and the camera. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all that kind of stuff. So I get done playing and I I'll hit end stream on my restream thing. And then I start shutting stuff off. So I might, you know, this, that, and the next thing. Well, somehow as I was like turning the light up, I hit the mouse and I started <laughs> streaming again, right around the time that we start like singing some kind of horribly off, you know, just, Something you wouldn't want people to hear. Let's just put it that way. That was a very private in moment. You know what I mean? And luckily, I had turned 
all the microphones off and you couldn't hear it. And then I had kept it on for quite some time. Then we're in the other room with the family, hooting and hollering, telling stories, you know, this, that, and the next thing. And I come in, I'm like, I've been streaming for an hour. But luckily, everything was off. But it's like, exactly. got to be careful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to be extremely careful. <laughs> crazy times well listen it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you my friend thanks so much for taking some time and uh, we should I I definitely want to come down and harass you when you're playing here and please let me know again about that other gig what was the other one it's July 23rd Uh, let me give you let me me get you the address now Uh, let's see here on the bayou it is On the clock. It's oh, 2053 North Dr. Martin Luther King Drive. Awesome. Awesome, my friend. Well, thanks again. And uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll see you soon. Come on, let's later. do it. I'm awesome ready whenever time. you are. All right, All right my friend. Too. Take it easy. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon.